move on to uh, the devotional thought that I've got for you tonight. I was really impressed with Tim's message last week and uh, thought that he did a really wonderful job of reminding us uh, of what the Lord went through as he pressed on uh, for the joy that was set before him. Uh, And I was encouraged with his wonderful spirit, small s, his desire to serve the Lord by serving us was apparent and, uh, and it was very good to be here. I appreciated his comments about friendship and I got to thinking about the friendships that we have here in the building. I'm sure that, that he and Tony try not to hurt each other as they box, but we have some, some great friendships here, ones that will last for eternity. Amen. And so uh, it really is good to maintain those friendships. Does anyone remember the, um, the Charlie Brown cartoons, the Peanuts comics? I really uh, like those. And uh, I remember one that Peppermint Patty said to Marcy. She said, I've got this book that I want to read, but I'm kind of afraid. And, uh, and Peppermint Patty said to her, so why are you afraid of reading a book? She said, well, my grandpa told me that if I read too many books, my head will fall off. And uh, Peppermint Patty said to her, she thought for a little while, and then she said, well, you start reading chapter one and I'll hold your head. And uh, I think maybe the, the moral of the story is that friends hold on to friends and, uh, and we can let our friends hold on to us. And tonight we're going to have a look, if you've got some notes there, we're going to have a look at Second Chronicles at, at uh, a man, Rehoboam, the king, who, was, uh, who didn't try and preserve the relationships around him. Uh, so often uh, we take offence at tiny things and they become big things and we, we lose some of the relationships that we have and, and uh, very easy for us to have big problems. Acts 13.43 says that we should continue in the grace of God. So I hope tonight that as we have a quick look uh, at Rehoboam, it's, it's going to be um, a very uh, shallow glance, if you like, something like that, a bird's eye view. There's, there's a fair bit I'm going to leave out. Uh, we're not going to read all of uh, chapters 10 to 12, but we will read the first 14 verses of chapter 10 and then skim through some more. And I hope tonight that it's a blessing to you as it has been to me as the Lord has shown me some of the things that went on uh, at that time in Rehoboam's life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, you know that I, I am, as Rehoboam was, woefully inadequate for the task at hand. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd send the power of your Holy Spirit to, uh, to uh, open up your word, to have it rest in our hearts, help us to grow in wisdom, not just know of you, but know you. Father, I pray tonight that uh, you'd help every one of us here to hear clearly your message to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Second Chronicles chapter 10, uh, I've entitled the message Knowledge or Wisdom and you'll see why as we go through I think. So Second Chronicles chapter 10 beginning at verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem for to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam the son of Nebat who was in Egypt whether he had fled from the presence of Solomon the king heard it that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called him, so Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke, uh, spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease, ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Come again unto me after three days, and the people departed. 
Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give ye me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him, that stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye that we may return answer to this people which have spoken unto me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father put upon us? And the young men that were brought up with him spake with him, or spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king bade, saying, Come again unto me on the third day. And the king answered them roughly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men, and answered them after the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereto. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions so we see there in those verses that Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men today's a very sad time in church history when we see people departing from the old paths people are really capricious they're they're prone to change like every wind of change they go this way and that way if there's something said that people don't like they reject the old message the old time religion and this old bible they often reject the messengers as well, of course, and, and they reject the very word of God. I even had a chat with a gentleman who's an elder in a church uh, not far from here, not, not in town here, but not far away. He rang me and he was giving me some curry about some doctrine that I thought, that he had assumed I thought just because I came here. He was dead right. And uh, after about half an hour or so, I said to him, look, I don't really think that we're, we're getting anywhere. How about I just text through those verses I've mentioned? No, he wasn't the slight. He wouldn't take God's word and read that to find out if what we were talking about was right. And that's very common today. People seem more and more to be ignoring God's very words to us. Seems that the standard set by a lot of uh, churches, a lot of people, is just peer review. Seems that they seem to uh, set their standards based on on a, some sort of a social. Uh, math project where what everybody thinks must be about right, the general consensus. It seems that a man like Hudson Taylor who spent his teen years in frantic preparation for the mission field, learning the basics of medicine, studying Mandarin and immersing himself in the Bible and prayer, seems like men like that have nothing to teach modern Christianity. It's almost as if anyone who has a voice on social media carries just as much weight as those who've gone before us. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we need to follow the example of godly men who've gone before. In verse 13 in our text tonight, we see that Rehoboam departed from the example of his father Solomon. He refused good counsel 
and instead followed a, a plan that his friends approved of. And here we see that he had some knowledge. He didn't decide too hastily. He said to the people, come back in three days. That was a good move. He asked for advice. But he didn't have the wisdom required. He couldn't correctly apply the knowledge that he gained with those discussions with the two groups. He actually spent his whole life going forwards and backwards. A few steps this way, a few steps that way. Verse 13 in our text is where we see his departure here. Benjamin Franklin said, He that won't be counselled can't be helped. The second point there in your outline tonight, the king answered the people roughly. We see that he spoke to them uh, in a, a ruthless manner. He was callous. He didn't try and preserve their relationship. You can see from what he said. He had total disregard for the feelings of those he spoke to. I wonder just how angry he was. I wonder if he foamed and spat and pointed his finger and had the crazy veins on his forehead. Horace said that anger is momentary madness. So control your passion or it will control you. James 1 reminds us that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And look at the results we see here. It's probably uh, uh, verses that you know very well, but the nation was divided. Hadoram lost his life and the king ran away. Let's look at uh, verses 16 to 18. So chapter 10 again. And when all Israel saw that the king would not hearken unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? And we have none inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. And now, David, see to thine own house. So all Israel went to their tents. But as for the children of Israel that dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram that was over the tribute. And the children of Israel stoned him with stones that he died. But King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So we see the results there of his taking the wrong counsel and how it divided the nation. And I've got there in your outline as well that he fled. We've just seen that. He fortified and followed. So Rehoboam here has fled back to Jerusalem. In chapter 11, in verses 1 to 4, he gathered 180,000 warriors. Let's have a look at that now, 1 to 4. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he gathered the house of Judah and Benjamin, 104,000 chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against Israel, that he might bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, or Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus saith the Lord, you shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is done of me. And they obeyed the words of the Lord and returned from going against Jeroboam. Can you imagine the humiliation? 180,000 warriors. He's got them all organised. Let's, let's go to war. And the Lord turns them around. Praise God for that much. He built defensive cities. Chapter 11 again from 5 to 12. He had genuine worship of the Lord in verses 16 and 17 and he planned for the future of his kingdom in verse 22. But as I said, he was fickle. 
capricious. His heart strayed. Let's run through some of those verses quickly and I hope at the end we can kind of tie it together a little bit more but we'll read some of this this here now. So in in, uh, chapter 11 and verse 5. And Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defence in Judah. He built even Bethlehem and Etam and Tekoa and Bethzur and Shoko and Adullam and Gath and Marishah and Ziph and Adoram and Lachish and Azekah and Zorah and Ajalon and Hebron, which are in Judah and in Benjamin, fenced cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them, in them and stores of victual and of oil and of wine. And in every several city he put shields and spears and made them exceeding strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. So he's really gone all out with those defensive cities, hasn't he? The names roll off your tongue. But the, he really has done all he can to set himself up for war. In verses 16 and 17. And after them out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So this is the time... When he was blessed, this is the time when he got strength. It was when, really, by the folly of Jeroboam, the people who wanted to worship the Lord have come back to Rehoboam. And so they've come to Jerusalem, and for three years, his reign was strengthened. But let's look at the end of verse 23 there in chapter 11. It says there at the end of the verse that he desired many wives as things went well pride crept in humility left as did the lord's blessing those few words at the end of verse 23 there are really telling we should never indulge the flesh there's no telling where it will end first kings if you wanted to read it later on first kings 14 23 and 4 tells of the idolatry and the immorality which had come into his kingdom. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8.13 says, if, if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Rehoboam didn't do that. And he reaped what he'd sown, as we'll see as we, we skim through a little further. Thomas Watson said, What fools are they who for a drop of pleasure drink a sea of wrath. So the third point there, we see that Rehoboam served the Lord for a time and himself for a time. And often I think that we believe, maybe we're persuaded, that if we do a little good and a little bad, it'll even out. Now we'd never say that to someone about their salvation. But that's often how we live. We think we can get away with a little bit. But we see here plainly that Rehoboam's life, the results of it were just disastrous. You can't mix the two together. I know that you know that, but it's good to be reminded. Chapter 12 and verse 1. He forsook the law of the Lord. And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him after he had strengthened himself. 
He was at ease. He had rest. He had a measure of success. He was relaxed and took his eyes off God. And then the world came flooding in. A time of rest is never a time for us to stray from the Lord. I've heard it said by Christians that there are seasons in our life where we're so busy we can't get to our Bible study. I couldn't disagree more strongly with that statement. There are times in our lives when we are very busy. That's the ebb and flow of life. But the schedule that brought you close to God is the schedule that will keep you close to God. A time of rest is given that we can draw closer and be refreshed in the Lord. In Rehoboam's case, this time of his life was one of transgression. And we know that the sin that we commit never affects just us. And for Rehoboam, it affected the whole kingdom and generation after generation after that. What an incredible roller coaster ensures. Let's look at in shoes. Let's look at uh, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2 to 5. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. With 1,200 chariots and threescore thousand horsemen, and the people were without number that came with him out of Egypt, the Lubims, Sukims, and the Ethiopians. And he took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah and came to Jerusalem. Then came Shemaiah, did it again. Then came Shemaiah, the prophet, to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Ye have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. We see his pride here has caused him to uh, elevate himself in his own thinking, even to the point where he is not dependent on God. He's humbled himself, though, in verse 7. Uh, sorry, yeah, verse 7. Let's have a look at that. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took all. He carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. So we see in verse 9 there that his sin cost dearly. The record that we've just read and, and skimmed through very quickly is here obviously for our instruction. Just as in 1 Peter 5, 6 also gives us instruction when it states, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I wonder if Rehoboam would have been consistently humble if he'd had 1 Peter 5, 6. We have it and don't have the excuse maybe that Rehoboam did. I love the examples that we find in history. History is really his story. We don't have to be incredibly smart. We just need to stand on the shoulders of giants and we can see a very long way. We have an amazing record here uh, in the word of different people that served and loved the Lord and throughout more recent history as well. We have uh, wonderful examples of men who've applied scripture 
and they've reaped rewards through the rest of their lives by applying those principles from God's word. I just want to read you a, uh, a little excerpt here from a, um, a biography of Tories, and he mentions Moody here, D.L. Moody. And I'll read you a little bit about him. He's really struck me with how humble a man Moody was. The fourth reason why God continuously through so many years used D.L. Moody was because he was a humble man. I think D.L. Moody was the humblest man I ever knew in all my life. He loved to quote the words of another. Faith gets the most, love works the most, but humility keeps the most. He himself had the humility that keeps everything it gets. As I have already said, he was the most humble man I ever knew. That is to say, the most humble man when we bear in mind the great things that he did and the praise that was lavished upon him. Oh, how he loved to put himself in the background and put other men in the foreground. How often he would stand on a platform with some of us little fellows seated behind him as he spoke. He would say, there are better men coming after me. As he said it, he would point back over his shoulder with his thumb to the little fellows. I do not know how he could believe it, but he really did believe that the others that were coming after him were really better than he was. He made no pretense to a humility he did not possess. In his hearts, heart of hearts, he constantly underestimated himself and overestimated others. He really believed that God would use other men in a larger measure than he had been used. Mr Moody loved to keep himself in the background. At his conventions at Northfield or anywhere else, he would push the other men to the front and if he could have, have them do all the preaching. McGregor, Campbell Morgan, Andrew Murray and the rest of them, the only way we could get him to take any part in the program was to get up in the convention and move that we hear Mr Moody at the next meeting. He continually put himself out of sight. Oh, how many a man has been full of promise and God has used him. And then the man thought that he was the whole thing and God was compelled to set him aside. I believe more promising workers have gone on the rocks through self-sufficiency and self-esteem than through any other cause. The entire shore of the history of Christian workers is strewn with the wrecks of gallant vessels that were full of promise a few years ago, but these men became puffed up and were driven on the rocks by the wild winds of their own raging self-esteem. We see, I think that ties in with our text tonight, I hope it does for you, we see that Rehoboam humbled himself and things went well in Judah in chapter 12 and verse 12. But that doesn't mean to say that when he was humbled, he didn't reap what he'd sown. In chapter 10 and verse 18, we see that he, uh, he fled. You remember that early on we read that he made speed to get up into his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. I looked up the word for flee there in the, in the Strongs. The word is N-U-C-W, Hebrew word, and it, it said noose. And so we see that, that Rehoboam ran away, but the noose of his actions, his earlier pride, still hung around his neck. The whole nation experienced the, the grinding oppression of the Egyptians invading. His whole life was full of unrest, 12.15. It says there at the end of the verse, and there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. The mixture of his good 
and his bad produced a woeful result. Not a very positive message for a Wednesday evening, is it? But I hope that we can see we must depend on the Lord. We must be, as mentioned Sunday morning, eschew evil more than hate evil. We must hate it so much we turn away from it. We see when Rehoboam trusted in his fortifications, not the Lord, but his fortifications, all of those cities we read about, all that he had done, he was conquered. The enemy flooded in. It said people without number. But when he humbled himself before the Lord, in spite of those things he'd done, he was still preserved, even blessed. As we read in 12.12, things went well. Out of all the tribes of Israel, in closing, we see that God had chosen to put his name in Jerusalem. What could have been? What untold blessings were wasted? What did the Lord have in store that was not brought to fruition? What was Rehoboam's problem? What was the fundamental flaw in his character? What undermined everything and made his life of such little value? He was born into the kingly line. If you flick back uh, and we'll read two more verses in chapter 9 and verse 22 and 23. Let's look at Solomon and remember what we've already read about Rehoboam. 9.22 And King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. This is Rehoboam's dad. All the people desired to serve him. Jeroboam came back to meet with him. And he was even in charge of the Lord's chosen city. What caused such failure? Why didn't he have good success? How could he start from such a blessed position and end with such an ungodly result? I didn't need to do any study to find the answer to those questions. I just read a little further in verse uh, 12 of chapter 14. Our last verse tonight. Chapter 12 and verse 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. The knowledge is not enough. He'd grown up with Solomon as his father. He had the knowledge of God. We saw how all those who loved the Lord came back to Jerusalem. He had the example in front of him there of people who loved the Lord, worshipped God there in in, uh, Jerusalem. The knowledge was not enough. He needed wisdom to apply what he already knew. For example, we don't just need to know who Jesus is. We need to know Jesus as Saviour. Knowledge says Jesus is the Saviour. Wisdom says Jesus is my Saviour. Knowledge says I should do my Bible study in the mornings. Wisdom says I spent my time with the Lord this morning. Rehoboam's life is summed up in those last 13 words, chapter 12 and verse 14. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord.